May your heart find peace anywhere you come from. Could I up you, could I down? Blessings on my nation. That's my mantra through this whole thing. The system has not taught us that inside of us, there's everything. You don't really need to be taught very much, you know. What you need to be taught is that you are. You are. This is Muhammad Muakil of Freetown Collective, and you are listening to Caribbean Power Lunch. Until everywhere is free. This is a statement that encapsulates the hope of Muhammad Mawakil, a Trinidadian poet, musician, and in some ways a modern-day Renaissance man, who with the help of many others is creating a new sound for Calypso music. I am your host, Kevin Valley, and in today's episode, Muhammad tells us his story about how he is paving his way in the world on his own terms, along the path of his entrepreneurial journey and self-discovery. So without further ado, let's get it. All right, Muhammad. Mm-hmm. So I was thinking about something that, that you guys said the other day, where you know you're trying to trying to build a new genre, a new genre of calypso. Because a lot of people try to classify what genre of music you guys do, right? So you guys call this genre new calypso, the uh, evergreen brand of mm. calypso and soca that is as relevant outside of carnival and everything. And you just kind of expound on that a little bit. So New Calypso, the term was coined originally by Jimmy October. And the first time he coined it, it kind of hit home for us immediately because for a long time, Lou and I had been doing our best to, to quantify exactly what we were doing in a certain type of way. And we consider ourselves to be the griots of our time. We consider ourselves to be the storytellers. We are the ones that are carrying the messages and, and bringing them forward to the people and speaking to them in that way. And that is what the Calypsonians have always been. Over time, the name Calypsonian has become synonymous with the competition and a very specific style of singing, and that moved very far away from youth culture. Really and truly, I don't even think the, the, the people who were really into Calypso back in the day are even really listening to Calypso as, as it's being written now. It kind of has become uh, museum pieces in a way. You know, we do it for the culture, but other than that, um, when is it really played? When is it highlighted? If you look at the top 100 songs in the country, you will never find a traditional Calypso um, as, a, as a song on the Dimash Grass stage right now. And so for us, it was really, in a way, a revolutionary act to say, whether you want to accept it or not, whether you want to believe it or not, we are Calypsonians. That's interesting. So, I mean, so I understand that in the Islam religion, right, Muhammad is, is, is said to be the messenger of God, or the prophet. And I understand that like, through, through your background, your, your dad actually had a, like, a really big impact on the message that you put out. So I just want to yeah. understand, so what sort of messaging you used to get from your dad? Like, how was, how was that relationship? How was that dynamic and how that impacted you? My father, when I first things come to mind, he always used to say, don't be um, and so and so, right? He would, meaning it's like, <laughs> if you hear like a race run, they say this one plays first, this one plays second, and so and so also run. <laughs> he's like, whoever be so and so also run. He's like, you didn't come on this earth to just be dust and just blow away now. Like, you have to do something on the earth. And, and that since we were like little, little youths, he always said to us, you know, make an impression. Do your best to make an impression, but not a false impression, but one that is lasting and one that is based in who you really are. And then he used to go on to say, you know, in order to, to make an impression with who you are, you need to know who you are. You have to have a self. You know what I mean? What do you like? What you do like? What you just do? What don't you do? You know, what are the things you stand for? You have to know what these things are. 
And he kind of gave us the groundation of Islam to, to move forward with that firstly. And from there, we were really kind of free in many ways to, to move out and explore the world as we, as we saw fit. So in my case, you know, teachings of Rastafari, Marcus Garvey, and, and many, many other things like Orisha, etc., kind of came into, into the play. It was that original groundation that my father would have given from very, 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 very early on. You know, he was also a man who was very much about justice. So many times growing up, I would see my father stand up on, be, on behalf of other people. In the last part of his life here, he was the, the, the president of the Washer Workers section at the NUGFW. So he was always involved in trade union and that kind of stuff. So always seeing him stand up on behalf of other people and developing a very strong, a strong sense of, of, of justice uh, from him. You know, growing up as a child, you you know you always you used to write a poetry. Like, how early did it did you start writing poetry? And like, you know, what was what would you write about? <laughs> My mother gave me a book the other day. I had something in it about some typical thing: watching too much TV, monster under your bed thing. I mean, yeah, yeah child, you know, right. but also. I'm growing up, you know, my, my home wasn't a perfect home, just like a lot of us growing up. My parents got separated. My parents actually got married and divorced three times before they decided it wasn't working. Um, wow. well, at least so they tried three times, There's a lot right? of that going on. And, um, man, listen, so there's a lot of that going on. And, you know, that, that also came out in the work. And very early on, just the work expressing that kind of angst and teenage angst and sadness or whatever. But at some point, I think I realized that um, the work didn't have to be knee-jerk. It didn't have to be, you know, the minute that I, I, I was feeling sad, I would respond to pain or anger. But that it was a thing that I could actually hold and wield and, and control um, and speak through it when I wanted to in whatever ways I decided to speak through it, you know what I mean? As best as I could. Right. It's interesting that, you know, you'd use the poetry to express yourself, right? Cause, and, and, and you and I spoke about this before, so, you know, you said it's okay to, to discuss, but... Um, when you're, yeah. <laughs> so when you um, you know, when you're six years old, right, in 1990, your your, your dad and other members of the Jamaat's Al Muslimin decided mm-hmm. to arrest the the sitting government in their words to arrest the sitting government because of social injustice that was being imposed upon the country, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. So how I mean at the time, like how did that? How did that? impact you like as a child like what did you have idea what was going on like what what was going through your mind hmm. you know, for you to understand that we had to go all the way back literally to me being born right so i was born carnage banks of a river no lights no water my dad and my mom had recently just kind of moved away from roman catholicism and they were into islam um and you have to understand at that time as well islam was coming to um, Afro-Trinidadians by way of the Black Power movement of the 1970s mostly and the movement of the Nation of Islam and it was a very radical form it was a very anti-state um, pro-people kind of form and so the community from the, from the get-go tried to be very autonomous um, because the state wasn't being very fair with certain types of things there were a lot of injustices at the time um, and so the Jamaat al-Muslimin became a name on the street, basically, in terms of feeding the poor, taking care of people. Everybody in the country at that time kind of knew if you needed something and you came to the mosque and you had a genuine need, um, most likely your need would be met. So I remember growing up and there was always a big pot of food cooking. There's a doctor's office. There was um, dentistry. There was counseling services. There was basically anything that you needed, you could walk off of the street coming to the mosque, you know what I mean? There were even places for homeless people to sleep. Um, 
and it was every every level of society was there right so this is something that people don't know in many ways about jamaatan muslimin jamaatan muslimin was one of the largest and, and in my opinion one of the most successful social organizations that we've ever seen as a country um and on top of that these men were not just satisfied to do that work alone they were going into the communities and seeing the way that the drug epidemic was taking a hold in the communities and they basically said no this can't happen and understand too that as 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 a muslim you know a part of our, a large part of our philosophy is that we do not fear death we understand death we don't fear anything other than god really we don't we don't deal with fear and so when we go into our community and there's a drug dealer telling you that you can't come in this community to do this work and on top of that i'm selling drugs to this community these young men at the time you know and they and they were our age right were looking at us and saying well i'm not going to allow this to happen and they started going to these drug blocks and taking away the drugs from these men and them taking their ammunition taking their money using the money to feed the program destroying the drugs keeping the ammunition and at the time the police and i mean i probably suppose even now the police own drug blocks and so the police began to to war them on the on the street you know and the jamaatan muslimin was successfully clearing the entire the entire west and parts of the east and stuff of 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 cocaine and 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 illicit drugs they were doing it um and that wasn't wanted so i'll tell you like some of my experiences as a child on the mosque close to the front gate is where the school is the police would pass and shoot up the school and we were so Stop accustomed shoot at the school at the mosque everywhere with their bullets and we were so accustomed to it that we would basically just duck under the desks as children and get back up and start back our lessons as if nothing had happened right because we that was that was what we were conditioned we were living in a war zone but we didn't really know and then when when it was recess time now i remember real clearly my brethren kunle and i we would run outside and we would go and we would look close to the road to see if any of the spent shells from the bullets the casings were in the road and i remember sometimes it would be so soon after the fact that they would still be hot right just come on the gun like those were the kind of experiences we i had as a child growing up and my initial understanding of what Trinidad and Tobago was you know what i mean so before i was 6 years old and before the coup happened i didn't know that guns were illegal i had no idea about that none i had no no inkling that the life i was living was anything different to anybody else you know what i mean yeah so that was my that was my foundation <laughs> from <laughs> the ages of 0 to 6 you know and i i thought that that was a normal life that was normal, normal. to me everything was quite normal to me that was my normal life um and here we are <laughs> yeah yeah i mean and you know the thing the thing for me right so I mean although as some people may know that my my dad was a politician and stuff like i was never really into like I don't know social studies and all that. I I would yeah, I see I see a surprise, right? Yeah, I I wouldn't really be I'm I'm still no, I'm not not really interested in following like, you know, the events of the world so much and and all of that, right? So just just because of this interview and it's a good thing I started this project. I today, like this morning, I pulled up a interview with with um, Yasima Abubakar, right? And and this is um produced by Vice Media explaining mm-hmm. the background be because of the um, the background causes for the coup and i was my mind was blown i was like damn you know yeah. it yeah. like i didn't know somebody was murdered the um the is alleged that ministers were transporting drugs you know um like what was your understanding of this 
So we were only Muslim children, right? And we were being we were being fed this this revolution in in many ways. And I'm not saying that we were being brainwashed. There was a, a very high level of truth that we were exposed to, um, but also things that were kind of skewed. So there was a brother who was studying at UWE. His name was Abdul Karim. Abdul Karim was murdered by the police, and and this is not hearsay, right? This was proven in court. His wife was later paid um, by the state. Um, he went to St. James the Garoti. Two policemen approached him. They said that while they were taking him to the station, a man jumped out of a car and stabbed him 15 times and he died. Wow. Right? So every, so, and, and we had all the pictures and stuff of his body and whatever. And every year for Eid, they would set up an exhibition, right? By the mosque. So we would see his body. We would see his body on the ground. We would see the blood. We would see all these different things as children. And it was constantly a reminder to us that it was not safe. You know, it wasn't but safe. You know? Isn't that like uh, like very aggressive and graphic imagery to be providing to, to children? Like, like what, what's the what's the what's the goal there? Yeah, you see, to me, I think it's it's two part, right? Mm-hmm. As a as a parent or as somebody that's guiding a child into our world, you have a responsibility to usher them into truth, right? Yes. Yeah. How you do that will also flavor the way that they see the world thereafter. But we were literally being raised for war. Like we were literally being raised to watch, to see the world as a place that was going to be very hostile to us because of what we believed. Um, and the truth is, Jed, the truth is, Kevin, that the world has never really not been a hostile place for people like me in a, in a, in a way. Um, I have never really found the systems that I have operated in or have had to operate in comforting or really allowing to the type of individual I am. It's always been a battle from school to, from, from primary school to secondary school to UE to, everything has always been. I could give you stories of being in St. Mary's College and um, they have a, a class called Horticulture in St. Mary's College. I don't know if it's still there. And I always say I want to go back and cause real trouble if it's still there. There's a class called Horticulture where when the, when the Catholic students are doing religious period, the non-Catholic students are mowing lawns and clipping hedges and getting grades for that. Yeah. And when I went to St. Mary's, I was not about that life. And many things that happened because of that, did not, I, I was not able to get into Form 6 in St. Mary's because of that, right? And yeah, 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 I could call some names and things, but we can go get into that. But no, 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 I really care too much. But what I'm saying is, yes, you might look back at it and say, yo, that was real, uh, like very hot. But we have little children now watching gratuitous violence on TV for no reason. We will be showing something. And I'm not saying that it was maybe not the perfect way of doing it, mm-hmm. but this world has never been harmonious towards people who are trying to speak the truth. And we were being raised to speak a very high level of truth. And so I think it was it, our parents were trying to impress on us at that point in time. There will be hardship with the road that you choose if you decide to go down this particular road. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I, and, I'm, and I, again, I'm not, I'm not an advocate for traumatizing children and, and putting them through certain things. That was my road. And I, I, I don't think I would put my children through that on that level. I don't think so. I think I've learned a few lessons since then as to how to usher people into the world in a different way. But they were living in a much more drastic time to them. You know, their moment was a much more drastic moment. And they literally were, 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 were dealing with life and death every day. I mean, the police would raid the mosque twice a week sometimes three times a week we waking up being woken up at five o'clock in the morning because police kicking on your door dragging your mother and your father outside 
lining up the whole community in front there, women, man, children, everybody who lying yeah. on the ground, who gain licks, you know, and as, as children, we were seeing this, you know what I mean? So, And this was just to intimidate you guys? It was intimidation. It was, yeah, I, I think in, in, in large part, it was intimidation by the state. You know, they wanted the land back for whatever reason, but they also wanted the Jamaat al-Muslimin to not be as strong a figure as they were at that point in time. Because you have an independent body with radical ideology that is affecting on a street level the philosophy of the people and controlling the flow of power on the street. Come on, man. You can't just have that. You know what I mean? It's like that famous quote in that Malcolm X movie where the policeman watch him and say, no one, no one man should have all that power. You know what I mean? <laughs> I feel you. Okay, so there's a there's a question from Crystal. She she really wants you to continue that story of seeing women in carnival costume for the first time when you were a child, and how you felt about that. She's on. I mean, Crystal, <laughs> just think about it, right? My my mother wore a single black, brown, or grey piece of cloth that covered her from head to toe. The things that were exposed was her face and her hands, and all the women I grew up around were covered by the same kind of cloth. So imagine my, my surprise every once a year when the carnival bands pass in front and I'm seeing people's entire bodies, and not just that, but they're whining and gyrating on each other. And remember, at that point in my life, I have no context for carnival. Nobody's explained to me the richness of this culture and how much it really affects who I am and where I am and my privileges and all these different things. All I've been told is it is anti-Islam and it is wrong and it is immoral and it is, you know, it's all these different things. That's all I've been told at this point. So it is the most shocking thing as a child I can see. I have a, a memory burned into my head. The one time, I don't know how we end up driving through town, a carnival. Two women at the bottom of Frederick Street or some one of them streets in town in some black biker shorts that was real them them biker shorts that probably was big in the 80s or the 90s like bent over whining on each other back to back now yeah that image i don't know how that image just burned into my brain as a child but it 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 just was who we were you understand it wasn't it wasn't um i don't think it was an active thing on my parents part or anybody to try to detract us from our culture but at that point in their evolution that was their understanding and understand too that our parents at that time were in their late 20s early 30s right so they were still very very young um trying to understand the world themselves okay all right so so the, so the coup happened you, you're able to you know to continue continue your life continue your childhood you you're able to um get educated saint mary's college and university of the west indies so they say <laughs> what do you mean so they say no, wait, no, give, give, me, give me something there like, what do you no, mean I, I wouldn't carry on with your question because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, no, I, I was going to get into I wanted to get into um, the formation of Freetown and you know yeah. and what was the message you wanted to drive there but you say so they say so, man listen you know what they say let me tell you something let me tell you something they we've been told in so many ways that education is supposed to open certain doors for us and teach us certain things. But the truth is that the majority of the system here, and we know it, and we know it, we know it, it just, it, it just teaches us to feed back into it, right? 90, probably, I don't even know the percentage, but a large percentage of us will never, ever, 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 ever even see the smallest modicum of the kind of money that, it, that flows through this country to even live a comfortable life. Like I think where I'm from in Belmont, a man will struggle almost his whole life to buy a car. And if you pass in front of the port by, by movie town, 
there many people bringing in thousands of cars every month. And that type of disparity has always been very clear to me. And the system is not teaching us to come out of that, not mentally, not in any way, in any way. It doesn't emotionally prepare you for the world. It doesn't, like none of those things. None, 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 none of that. You know what I mean? So when I say, so they say, I just remember going to UE and they had a class on critical thinking. And after three, three course, three of the classes, I got up and I asked the guy, I was like, are we being taught to think critical, critically or are we being taught what critical thinking is? You know what I mean? Because they wanted you to, to give all these definitions of critical thinking and whatever. I'm like, Jed, this is of no use to me. I just want to know how to approach life and to see through this lens. Don't waste my time trying to explain to me, like you basically teaching me a course on how to teach critical thinking. I don't want that. You know, and so much of my school life felt like that. So much of my school life didn't feel like a challenge. I looked around at so many of my peers who were so intelligent and did not seem to be challenged. Like we were just biding time in order to get out into society and actually live some other kind of life that we wanted to live. You know what I mean? So, man, I could, I could talk about school and, and my I mean, frustration. Is it, that, is, it that the, is it that the system was, was somewhat like restricting people's freedom of expression and their, and their freedom to think and their freedom to act and everything? The system isn't, I don't think the system is actively doing it. I just think that there's nothing. Jed, if you go somewhere, if you go to a cafeteria and all they have is fries and, and frozen chicken and whatever, whatever, you go eat that. Mm-hmm. Your whole life you will eat it. You will never know that if you put some broccoli and some other shit in your diet that you'll just feel better. So you keep on going back to this cafeteria because that's where your parents went and your grandparents went there. And the whole system is founded on people who go to the cafeteria, they buy shit and they leave and they come out and they, and they live. And nobody's telling you that, yo, go and plant something and eat it, you'll feel better. So it's not that, I don't think the system right now is actively anymore trying to make people, it doesn't have to. It's already just propagating itself. You know what I mean? It, 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 yeah. it just is doing what it's doing, man. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because right? the like the formal education system is is telling you one thing, and they've been telling you pretty much the same thing for generations, right? But where you see where you see the real education, like the, you know the real quality education is like people people like you, people like even like my company or other people who are creating who are creating content or creating who are um, creating messages for people to to learn from, you know, through their own self expression. You know? When so, I I, I, the day I left you, right? The day I decided to leave you. Let me tell you my experience of why the day that I left. I, I mean, my frustration I've been building. Mm-hmm. I didn't really understand. And it's on me. I didn't understand the system too well. So in my third year, I still had like a core course that I needed to do. And the core course I needed to do in my third year was Introduction to Poetry. Introduction right? to? To Poetry. Okay. Right? The irony of life. Um, and I went into that class. I had missed three classes. So you know when you eat, if you miss three, whatever. So I gone in the class and me and the lecturer started having a real in-depth conversation about meter and the different types of meter and whatever, whatever. We had a real nice conversation. Halfway through the conversation, he looks at me and he says, who are you? I ain't seen you in this class before. Well, I'm on Muakil and whatever, whatever. He said, oh, let me look at my list. He said, well, you've missed three classes, so you can't be here. I said, how do you mean? He's like, yeah, you have to do this course next year. I said, how do you mean? He said, well, the system wouldn't recognize you. I said, but in front of all the students, I said to him, I said, but I've just displayed to you that I have an understanding of everything you're trying to teach me. He said, yeah, but that doesn't matter. You're going to have to come back next year. And something about that, just it just broke me. Like, it, it broke me in terms of the system. I was like, you telling me that you can't go on a computer somewhere and just 
type in a code somewhere or type in something and allow me to finish this course so I can move on in my life. Like, I am tying myself to this. Nah, I mean tying myself to that shit. I real sorry. If this is how we judging, if this is how we moving forward, nah, I can't tie myself to that. I can't tie myself with that. I can't tie, nah, I'm not doing that. And I left, I left you that day. I left you that day and I, I, yeah, I mean, Freetown started literally about four months after that. So that was the one course you needed to finish? No, no, no. I had five courses. I was doing okay. all my courses, you know. I was, okay. doing, okay. I was finishing. Yeah, I mean, if it was the one course, I mean, I, I would say, oh, God, Mohammed. <laughs> you know, you could go if I can't finish it. But all right, yeah, five courses, you know, that's, that could be a lift. So, all right, so what was the impetus behind creating Freetown then? Um, I was doing spoken word for well over five years at that point. Um, I started traveling with Spoken Word, a headliner festival in Dominica. Um, I was doing pretty well with Spoken Word. But I felt as though, like, observing my younger brothers and sisters, um, singing, like, Vibes Cartel and a lot of different kind of real violent music that was sticking with them. The music was staying with them. Um, and they liked my poetry. They would come to see me perform, whatever. But how often does a Spoken Word poem stick in your brain in the way that a song does? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. are people walking around singing spoken word poems? And I'm not saying that poetry can't change the world, but there was a kind of an immediacy that I felt in terms of reaching my younger brothers and sisters. And so I buy, buy a guitar. And I started playing music for them and whatever. And they started remembering the songs. And it was some real silly little things, but they were singing them, you know? And that gave me real hope. I was like, all right, I know the effect I'd like to have. Um, and I know the scale of the effect I'd like to have. I'm not a musician yet, but if I want to do this, I need to do it now. I need to start now because at that time, I'm like 26. Yeah, um, but is it, is it that you just naturally had that singing talent? Because, I mean, nowhere in, nowhere in the history I, I say, okay, well, I went to vocal training and all of that. Was that, okay, I was writing poems and decided to sing and now I could really sing. So, I mean, <laughs> you know, where see, did that I, come I from? I see in my brother, Ian, watching me. We just audacious. <laughs> we just audacious. We can't sing anything, but we have the music in us. And, and again, the system has not taught us that inside of us, there's everything. You don't really need to be taught very much, you know. What you need to be taught is that you are. You are. And that you Muhammad, have access now. Muhammad, anybody who know me know I love to sing, but I can't sing to save my life. I guarantee you that if you give me five minutes of your time, I can teach you to sing. Muhammad, we'll talk right after. Trouble for everybody. Singing, <laughs> I say it all the time. Singing is talking in key, brother. So right now, I'm talking to you. But if I decide to talk like this, then I am talking in key. I'm not doing anything different. And I could talk higher and talk like this. It's the same thing. I'm just talking in key. That's it. You're just talking in key. But everybody's want to feel singing is for... Yes, they're different kinds. But if you observe the greatest singers of all time, in my opinion, and songwriters who have really touched the soul of humanity, there wasn't people who was belting out notes something. But I never belted out in his life. Johnny Cash never belted out in his life. Phil Collins never really is not a big belt of notes, but they touched people, you know what I mean? And so I kind of watched that tradition and, and said, um, this is what I want to be a part of. Right. But, you know, with, so with Freetown, right? So it's, it, people always had a hard time classifying. And I know there's a, a, a contentious issue for you, right? People always had a hard time um, classifying what genre of music is it? Like, is it soca? Is it reggae? Is it rap? So what, what is it, right? But... Yeah. I mean, just going back to your, like your process, like how you de- how did you classify yourself, and how you de- how did you how did you craft your art form? I am in a 
from the time I have known myself, I have been in a constant conversation with the divine. Whatever make me, I've been talking to that shit since I born. That's how I know myself. I have been playing with it. I have been interacting with it. I have been growing through it, loving through it. When that, when that divine brings music to me, it brings art to me. It brings people to me. It is not my job to sit down and say, oh, you've brought a rock song to me, but you know, this, this song's this way, but I'm a soca artist. I don't believe in somebody saying that they are this kind of artist or that kind, especially when it comes to music. Right? What kind of artist is Andre 3000? You might say hip-hop, but really and truly. What kind of artist is Junior Gong? You might say reggae, but, but really and truly. When Bob was, was, was in the last stages of his life, by the time Bob was saying, I'm a rainbow too, was that the reggae that we know as reggae today, as, as, as in what we know as strict reggae today? You know what I mean? Yeah. As men unfold and they find themselves, even in the last times of, of Malcolm X's life, when he went to, to, to Saudi Arabia and he made pilgrimage and found the Hajj, his whole mentality changed and he was no longer what he was. So when somebody says, what is the genre? Dread, what does it make you feel? Because when you ask me genre, what are you telling me? You're trying to sell music. I don't care what you're trying to sell. I know what I'm trying to bring. So although I get, I have a team of people who are behind me and to them genre is important and whatever. So we were placed in um, urban pop. We've been placed in neo-folk, neo all kinds of different places. Wherever comfortable for you, but my thing now is that we are saying, we're saying New Calypso. And much less because I feel the need to define a genre and more so because I feel the need to define a movement that is taking back Calypso. Um, yeah. I feel Calypso has kind of been robbed by the, the competition and by, I don't know, old ways of thinking. When I see people as, as, as young as myself and younger singing what sounds like funeral dirge music, in many ways. And they might not like me for saying that, but it's always a lament. It's always mm -hmm. a lament. Always a slow lament about something that's going on, you know what I mean? And it's very, very, in my opinion, detached from the times. This is not the music that the world is listening to now. This is not the music that we are making um, that's being consumed by people. And so um, I define it as New Calypso because I want to drag our stories and our culture into the 21st. Right, and right. Yeah, and, and, I, and I know you, you have some issue with the, the messaging of, the, of contemporary soca and the popular soca and everything. I don't have no issue, bro. <laughs> I have no issues. No, no, let me be real clear. Let me be real clear because there's some people who want to stick me on. And it's something I've been thinking about and we've been, I've been discussing with quite a few people over the last few days. Mm-hmm. Go ahead and, and sing whatever you want to sing. But understand, music is a spiritual thing and you don't play with music. Art is a spiritual thing, you don't play with art. Right? right. So when you decide that you're going to interact with cosmic forces, understand that every word you utter is a prayer. So go ahead and pray. But when you pray, understand what it is you're praying for. Now, some people might be like, oh, you're taking it real serious and whatever. Yes. Phil Akuti said that. Phil Akuti said music is a spiritual thing. You don't play with music. And we've been playing with music for so long. So my grouse is not so much with somebody singing about sexuality. You know, There are ways to do that. There are ways to do that, Chad. You know what I mean? Right. There are ways for people to express themselves. 
my problem is this, and it goes right back to us talking about regarding school. If you become a slave to a machine, right? God give you something. The universe give you something. You downloading all this beautiful shit. And then you tell yourself, I want to use this beauty I've been given to feed myself. Mm-hmm. That's some real basic shit, right? That's some real basic, basic way of thinking and operating in a spiritual realm. I want to use all the beauty I've been given and I want to use it to aggrandize and to feed myself. That is what I want to do. Okay. What did you say? Aggrand who? Aggrandize. Oh, aggrandize. Okay. Right? Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. And, and, and I, I, I understand that. I understand mm-hmm. that. And I understand that as a human need and a human urge. But a whole part of why we are here is to transcend these things and to go a little deeper. Yeah. We can't misuse the music and expect the music to give us what we want. And at this point, I would like to, to say this because I've been trying to, to, to push this. We have to make a very, very clear distinction between carnival music and soca music. Carnival music is a subgenre of soca music, in my opinion, right? At least yeah. for me, that's something I clear about. Right. Can you freeze? No, no, we write a... Wait, are you hearing me? Mm. Okay, you froze. All right, let's give Mohammed a second. All right. Okay, there he goes again. Yes, sir. Let me unmute you there. Every time I start talking about soccer music, you think this freeze up, eh? Yeah, no, that happened at the last, at the last time when well, I saw you, Ash. You know, I, was, I was like, hey, where the man going? You see, now, well, I might want to take them things lightly and feel it's that joke, you know. But, but, listen, that's our power, you know. Listen, don't bring that, don't bring no, no, mommy jumpy thing here, you know. But uh, if, 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 you <laughs> mommy, if you don't want the mommy jump, you should have never tried to talk to me in the first place. <laughs> but, no, I'm, I'm being real. We have to make that distinction between carnival music and soca music. They're very different. Yeah. Carnival music is a genre of soca music, a subgenre that we use at carnival time to do certain things. Carnival music and soca music can exist at carnival time, but soca music is the only one that can exist after, in and of itself, free and clear, without the need of a festival to attach itself to for, for relevance. And yeah. that is where it is. Yeah. That is where it is. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, I wanted to jump to jump on that um, because I know you, you intentionally release your latest album, Yego, on Ash Wednesday after Carnival, right? Mm-hmm. But when you're on that, you're back on the on the spirit, spirit, spirituality and religious beliefs point, right? And yeah. we actually are two questions from, from the audience that tie into that, right? So Ian Lee and AC Christie together, they're asking like, where are you now with your spirituality and religious beliefs? And the follow-up is, how is your current career path or journey impacting your spirituality? Mm-hmm. In terms of spirituality, I, I kind of come to this. There is something out there that had a question, right? Maybe several questions. And I am the answer or the source of the answer to those questions. So that thing gave birth to me and put me through a series of circumstances in order to answer a question that it had, right? That's how I feel. The only way I could be of use is to truly be myself and try to respond to the things around me as me after I have owned myself and therefore I be living in purpose. 
I might put persistent answer the question. Um, <laughs> no, that is that is what it is. My purpose is that I don't know. And the thing is, I could never really know what the question is. All I can do is live in my truth and hope that I am I am fulfilling the purpose of answering because I really believe, uh, like literally, this great being was just 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 roaming around and just like, oh, I wonder. And I am that wonder. I am wonder, Jed. Like I am that thing that that being had a wonder. And it could have been a thousand years ago, and then it just manifests as me through my great, 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 however. And it might be one question, as my whole lineage might be a one question which I answer. Mm-hmm. In the sun. So, in terms of that, it's not very concrete. Uh, many people might look at me as a Muslim. I define myself as a Muslim because Islam, it, it says that Islam is submitting to the will of the Creator, the heavens, and the earth. And that's what I'm trying to do, trying to find my purpose, right? Um, but in terms of ritual practice, in terms of strict ritual practice, no, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't strictly define myself as Muslim at this point in time. Only because I, don't want, I ain't trying to make them Muslims uncomfortable who might be feeling as though they want to debate me and define things. I'm not trying to debate anybody. I think debating God is one of the most ridiculous things mankind to do. You know what I mean? It come like a, 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 a subatomic particle trying to debate um, a nuclear space program or something. You know, and in and on a, a much higher level, right? Like we don't we don't get it, and that's probably the only thing we can agree on that we are all wrong, um, and we should agree on that and leave everybody alone. People do what they need to. Do. All right, nice man. What was yeah. the second part of the question? I know there were two parts. The first part was where am I? Where I'm at now? And what was the second part? How is your your current your current career path impacting the your spirituality? Well, I <laughs> my career path is is faith based. <laughs> <laughs> meaning that I wake up every day and I trust that God will feed me I trust that the things I make will, will live in purpose you know what I mean so in that way I kind of come like a bird I just go and sleep in my nest in the night and I just wake up in the morning and I, I, I do my best to fulfill my purpose and I know that the universe will bless me and I will be given things so I work but the work I do is not somewhere where I've signed a contract and I'm guaranteed to get anything I've signed a contract with the universe that is my contract now um, and I'm not guaranteed anything by that. But every now and then, I tell you, every now and then you sit down and you, you watch your life and you just smile because it's like, I didn't bump to have none of this. Why are you talking to me right now? What makes me of any kind of level of interest that you should want to have a conversation that anybody should be sitting down asking me anything? Why? You have some you know interesting I mean? insights. You have some interesting insights and stuff. So it's beyond your beyond your music. I mean, I was listening to you at a, at a last webinar. I was and I and I I was um interested by your by your messaging. Yeah, I, but I just seen it to say it 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 it, mm. it doesn't come out of nowhere. You know, what I mean? yeah. it doesn't come out of sure. nowhere. And 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 the the art form at this point in time is is, is impacting a lot because it, it forces you to at at some point as a musician. I think any, any great artist kind of realizes that you're not really in charge here. This is a conversation. And in many ways, the, the less you talk and the more you listen, it's better. You know what I mean? And if spirituality isn't that, then I don't know where it is. You know? Yeah, that's real. That's real. That's big. Okay, so I want to jump back on the New Calypso, the New Calypso angle, right? Mm-hmm. So my question, and I'm going to team it up with um, Melissa from the audience. My question is, so what was... Now, what was the intention and plan behind you releasing your album on Ash Wednesday after Carnival intentionally? And Melissa's question is, are you hoping that new Calypso will become as big a movement as traditional Calypso, or is that just how you want to define your work? 
it already has become a, a movement as big as Old Calypso, which is that people have not adopted the name. But when you listen to people like I, Sasha, when you listen to what, my, again, my brethren, Ian is doing, and, and, and Pronto, and Ola, and Voice, and all that, it's already here, you know. There are people who are already tapping into that ancestral energy of the Calypso and dragging it forward into the future. It just hasn't united itself under a banner. It hasn't taken on a name. I am proposing that it is new Calypso. I am proposing that we are here. We've never left. You understand? I'm proposing that that's, that's, that, that's where we are. So I'm not hoping that it does it. It does it. it it's doing it. And it will do it. it no, it, 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 it definitely it will do it. What was the first part of the question? Uh, the first part was my question. It was behind the, um, the, ra- the rationale be, the, um, behind you. Yeah, 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 um, on Ash Wednesday. Well, we're so, we just some rebels, you know. We're just, <laughs> we just, we just miserable, you know, honestly. Um, in terms of, we knew that we were making this music and it was not music to be consumed necessarily by the road. The road is not going to eat up this music and spit it out. That's not what I'm making it for. I want people to play this music when they're having a barbecue in their backyard, when they're having a curry duck lying somewhere by the river. I want, I want it to be ingrained in the, in the West Indian family experience of man loving woman and woman loving man and woman have, and man having children and seeing them and loving them. And I want the music to be ingrained in that. I don't only want to catch you when you're in a moment of, oh, I want to have, have sex with this girl. I don't care about that. That part easy. I can catch you there anytime. I want to be in your life. I want to be with you when you're cooking Sunday lunch with your wife and the person you just married. I want to be with you at the side of your bed when your loved one is dying. I want to be with you when you're first born coming into the world. I want to be with you when you have your first daughter. I want to be all them things. That's where, that's where I want the music to be. And so, we did Senyago on Ash Wednesday. It's more of a declaration and more of a, an offering and saying, I really want to be with you. It's not no flash thing. It's not no flam thing. It's not, I'm not trying to catch you when you're dizzy and you're in your heights. I want to catch you when you're sober. So you could look at me and you could really decide if you want me to be a part of your life because this is who I am. You know what I mean? That's the type of conversation that I want to have with, with my people and my generation and, and with music. I'm not trying just to catch you when you're on a way and full of alcohol and spinning around in a party. No, 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 no. I want to talk to you. That's what I come here to do. I want to actually see if I could give you something that is of use. How can I be of use to you? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. How can I be of, of actual use? And so really, Senyago on that date was sort of us saying, yeah, listen, the music can be used for more. And you might pick it up right now, but I guarantee that when we release the next one on Ash Wednesday and then the next one and the next one and it become an institution almost that albums are being released for that period of time, Things begin to change, but people have to begin them. And most of the time, the people who start it aren't the ones who reap the benefit, but they cannot be so selfish to think, I won't start because I may not reap the benefit. No, you may. But even if you don't, you know what I mean? Like they say, if you, if, you, if you really plan to stay somewhere for a long time, plant trees. And if you really want to stay forever, you know, teach the children. I mean? Interesting. Love it. Love it. Love it. Wow. All right, so let's let's talk let's talk business now, right? So, mm-hmm. well, in a, in a lighter sense, right? So, during these during these times, these pandemic times, I've seen that you know Freetown Collective as a group they become like even more relevant, and that is that is through engaging with the audience. You see, you do that those well produced and synced um, live concerts on I think it's Tuesdays at six. Tuesdays. 
Thursdays, Thursdays at six, right? And um, yours, when you and I were talking, you also said that you were able to foresee the economic crisis arising from the pandemic and you're able to pivot your business. I'd love for you to get into that a little bit. All right. Um, I would definitely wouldn't say foresee because we, I, not me at least, but our mm-hmm. man, we have a really, really, really strong management team. Um, they, they eat, sleep, this, this is what they do. Um, and so they, their job is, he always says his job is to, is to take our product and give it to the world. I hate when he uses the word product, but that's, that's, that's where it is. I make things and then they take it and they, and they, and they send it to the world. And from months ago, um, our manager, Dr. Karen Niles, he began using the word pivot. He began with, from months ago, he was like, all right, well, this is going to happen. Um, Carnival is going to happen. It's going to be a good season, whatever, whatever, but we're going to have to eventually pivot. We're going to pivot, 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 pivot. One of the things we've been very um, fortunate with is our music is, like I was talking about usefulness before. And so a lot of, um, a lot of brands and stuff like that have, have wanted to use the music over the years. So we've gotten a lot of licensing deals. So over the course of the last few months, we've been able to sign a few of those. That brings in a decent amount for us. Karen Niles is a genius. Somebody just commented. Um, and in terms of, of, of the business model, we're looking a lot more towards that, towards putting out content that can be received in that way, in a much more virtual sense, and used and spread in that way. Um, the live... The live concerts, we intended to actually do a nationwide tour right after Carnival with a few other artists like um, Choppy, who sang Captain, and um, Jimmy October. Um, we were going to do a nation tour. That obviously couldn't happen. Um, and we decided still that we would, we would do something. So we've been curating this online thing that we hope grows and highlighting two younger artists um, with every, well, not only younger artists, but two, two artists with every every show that we have because it's very important for us to use whatever platform we have to allow other artists to, to, to be there as well. Um, so those are the two ways in which right now we've been, we've been pivoting. Um, also looking into developing our merchandise in a, in a much more holistic way, which is my thing. That's my baby. So mm-hmm. you know, why are people going to see that? We're going to be developing merchandise, but again, not just merchandise to say, Hey, come on, support Freetown and wear a Freetown t-shirt, but what can I provide? for you that you can actually use in your daily life to inspire you, to clothe you, to whatever you need it for. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. So Ibrahim wants to know if, if there's a part of your music that is political and what systemic changes you see having the biggest impact in transforming TT, transforming Trinidad Tobago. I wouldn't, I wouldn't out Ibrahim and say who Ibrahim is. <laughs> it's a real interesting, interesting person to ask me that question. He just be provocative. <laughs> yes, yes, brother Abdullah. Um, if the music is political, is is water wet? I don't know. Um, what do we do that is not political? We live in black bodies in our in our world in our in our post-colonial post post whatever we 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 breathe and it's political. We wear clothes and it's political. Why are you doing this? Why you have a beard? Why, why, why? We don't just exist. Every single thing, somebody look at us. Why you do this? Why do you identify this way? You know, why do, why, why? Everything that black people do, everything that, 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 that disenfranchised people do is, is, is by nature political, whether they want to believe it or not. When I hear people tell me that they don't get into politics, I just like, well, yeah, okay. You know, you don't bathe. You don't walk in air. I don't know. 
It, there's no such thing. There's no such thing. There's no such thing. We, we, we speak and we are political. That's it. Whether or not we fall into the system of politics is a whole other thing. But we speak and, and we are. Well, every single thing we do, look at us. Look at us. We, we in a society that's trying to define itself at every single turn. We're at the very beginning of a, of a Caribbean civilization. We don't even know what this civilization is going to look like in the next hundred years. We might all be Chinese. You know, we don't even, we don't know. We don't know what it's going to look we like. We might all be Chinese. We might. China might, might just rush in here. And, I mean, Rome thought it was going to live forever too. We don't know. We might all be Chinese in the next, in the next hundred years. I don't know. What was the second part of the question? One second. What systemic changes you see having the biggest impact in transforming Trinidad and Tobago? <laughs> you ready, man? Steve, that's your question. <laughs> what? Here, here my thing. My thing is this. If you have some cows, right? Mm-hmm. And the way that you walk them cows from the barn to the meat grinder is through a passage that goes 90 degrees, 45 degrees, 37 degrees in the meat grinder, Right? If you change the passage them cows walk through and you make it 45 degrees, 90 degrees, 36 degrees into the meat grinder, have you changed the cows? No. The cows are still the same. The cows will still walk from the barn to the meat grinder without thinking about what they've done. And to me, talking about the legislation and talking about those different things, yes, they may empower people in a certain type of way, but until you begin to fundamentally change the way we are educated, we're wasting time. We're wasting time. You know what I mean? So the only thing I see in, in terms of systemic change is, is, is to begin at a root level in the way that we are educated, spiritually and otherwise. And we can't be afraid of the term spiritual education when it comes to, when it comes to education. And I'm not talking about teaching people about Jesus Christ or Muhammad or, 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 or Buddha or about the Bhagavad Gita, none of that. And that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about teaching people that fundamentally they are spirit and they are far more powerful than they think they are. But until we stop looking at these things as kind of just taboo, like, you know, why, why are you talking about that? Why? Then we will always be in the position that we're in. Because if you really only believe that you are this finite flesh being, man, the kind of shit you're going to do to keep alive, to stay alive, to keep this flesh living and moving. If this is all you're relying on, we have not, begin, we have not even begun to see the beginning of human atrocity. All right, so I see Ibra, like he come here to, to trigger you. So, um, I'm a brother. All right, so Osei Hamilton asks, I always remember when you said no one naturally exists on a frequency of 128 BPM. It's not the natural rhythm of the body, at least not most of the time. Can you touch a bit more on this and how you feel about it and lack of diversification in soca music? Mm-hmm. Um, there's an experiment well we know for a fact sound um, changes the molecular structure of water this is not debatable this is what it is um, there's stuff on YouTube you can go and look at right they play sound at different at different frequencies it changes the vibrational frequency and the molecular structure of water um, and the human body is 75% water I don't feel I need to explain more than that to any any rational thinking human being you literally are not the same person from song to song you're not the same person and not even being it's not even being like rhetorical or anything you are not the same being in your physical sense from song to song um 
And more so now, you take that and, you, and you, you use groove and you use BPM and all these different things. A human being isn't existing. Like right now, I'm not like this on this podcast talking to you like, yo, I real hype on. <laughs> Why is this every time we see an ad for something, every artist says, yo, it's your boy. Every road leads to bang, bang. I mean, is this really the energy? This is where we live? This is where we live, in, in, energetically speaking? No, it's not. It's not. And therefore, it has to be a lie. Somebody's constructing a lie somewhere in order to put you in a state where you can be easily controlled. Because when you are moving at a high pace, all it takes is a small nudge. You know what I mean? A train moving at how much of a thousand kilometers per hour? A pebble on the track, it's gone. A train moving slower, it could stop for a whole herd of bison in front of it and, and move on and it'll be fine. So we know that. And that's why people want to influence people at certain levels with music and different things. But there's so many different ways to do it and so many positive ways to do it. You know, people don't exist at that level. A human being from a, from a resting heart rate to a full-on um, active heart rate to a sleeping heart rate there's so many different things that you go through. And the truth is that the majority of those is much closer to resting during the day than it is to active, full-on sprint exercise, you know, where you're going to be at your maximum um, BPM. You know what I mean? And as an artist and a creator, um, if I look at myself as a painter, I'm not only going to paint in red all the time. I'm not only going to paint in blue or green. I use the hues of the rainbow. I use everything at my disposal in order to evoke human emotion. If I am only trying over the course of an entire career to evoke one or two human emotions with my work, maybe those things are just very important to me. I can't don't cry anybody for that. But again, I cannot expect to put that in and then want to be remembered throughout time forever and ever in a certain type of way. You know, Bob took us from every man got a right to decide his own destiny to stir it up, little darling, stir, right? I'll push the word like Bob went the whole gamut. And everybody who we remember, really and truly, you know what I mean? You, you go from Buju to Beres to Bob Marley to Phil Collins, to Prince, to Michael. They went everywhere along the human trajectory of emotion from the lowest to the highest. And we got caught in between and we never forget them. And we, and we, and we can't ever repeat them for what they gave us. The second part of Osei's question, and we may, have, we may have touched on this a lot um, in this conversation, but he asked about how do you feel about this and the lack of diversification in soccer music? Um, having experienced the soccer industry this year and the pace of it, the sheer pace of it, and I was only in Trinidad, so I didn't travel and feel the rest of the pace. I understand now why it is so, why a couple of things. I understand why there's a huge bunch of people who are writing for other people. Artists no longer, the top tier artists no longer have the time and the space to air their minds out, to consider the world, to imbibe that world, and to push that thought out as new work in any constant way in order to meet the demands of the festival circuit, right? That, that is not what's going on anymore in terms of that. 
um, and the sheer pace of it, just the sheer sheer pace of it, it doesn't allow it doesn't allow the artists to to, to, to be more than, than they are right now. And I'm not down crying anybody again. I'm saying people need to do what they need to do, right? When you make this into the thing that is your living, you have a family to take care of, you have bills, you have all kind of stuff, and you get caught in it. It's kind of sad for me though that the thing that is supposed to free us, which is our God-given gift, now kind of puts us into another rat race, yeah. you know, because now you're running down that, that dollar again. And maybe so many of us have forgotten why we began doing music in the first place. You know what I mean? So I wouldn't, I wouldn't get down too hard on the artists. The system itself is driving them to a, a kind of a feverish point of creation that they can't keep up with. We can't. We are not machines. We are not machines. You do not get up every day and write Stir It Up or Redemption Song. You do not wake up every day and write that. Bob lived a short life comparatively, but a, lo a long life. And he didn't really write that many songs. He eh? was prolific in terms of other people, but still, when you measure out the hours and the days of a man's life, it was a few chapters. You know what I mean? And I was talking about it before regarding pace. There's no control at that pace. And the thing too that a lot of people don't understand is that a lot of these larger artists, they are ecosystems. Eh? They're not just feeding themselves. So they cannot, many of them, just stop and come out and decide, I'm not doing this anymore. There's a whole system that they're feeding into. People who depend on them for their livelihood. Men, women, children, older people. You know what I mean? And so when we start crying down soca artists for not having content and not singing this and whatever, we have to be very, very careful and understand that it's a system, eh? we've made it, and it can't just be broken overnight, it can't just be changed overnight. But I believe it, 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 can, it can change, and it can be more conducive to the artist having more space, you know what I mean, and the wherewithal to be more at peace and more human. You know, as we um, as you're talking about systems, and um, and I think it's a a good place, a good place to kind of segue as we um, as we wrap this up. We have a few questions here from the audience back on the education, on the education aspect of our conversation, right? So, Janelle asks, "Don't you think that the restrictiveness of education was due to the history of Trinidad Tobago with colonization?" And how do you think our educational institutions can try to overcome the ideology they portray of get an education, work for someone, or to fit in to societal norms? Entrepreneurship should be taught from the youngest age possible yeah. in every sector of society. Every single human being, if we live in a society that is run by currency, and if we live, it should be taught from the smallest child. Don't teach me how to work. Teach me how to earn. Teach me how to live. You know what I mean? We have been, we have been giving people fish and not teaching them how to fish for the longest while. Indeed. Right? Ask a lot of the university graduates when they come out of university how to make money. And really and truly, the only answer they can give you is to be hired. And you had to let that sink in for a while. For all the knowledge you have of chemical engineering and for all the knowledge you have of process plant engineering and for all the knowledge you have and all the knowledge and all the knowledge, ask most of our university graduates, how do you make money? And they will be stumped because the only answer is 
to use what I've been taught to get a job. And that places you. So the only answer to what, what you just asked me there is that entrepreneurship must be taught at every. And I've seen somebody asking if we can all be entrepreneurs. Look, we all don't want to be. We all don't want to be. And I don't know if we can all be entrepreneurs on the level of, 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 of Bill Gates or, or, or Jeff Bezos or whoever, right? I don't think that's what we're trying to say here. What we're trying to say here is that people deserve a fair chance to decide their own destiny. That it shouldn't be restricted because of what they've learned. You understand? So it is not a matter of everybody wanting to be a singer at the end of the day, or everybody wanting to be an artist, or everybody wanting to be an entrepreneur. But give people the wherewithal to decide at the end of the day. Because for some people, gain that 15,000 a month, gain that 8,000 a month, gain that 7,000 a month, and rock back and pay your bills and things and whatever, and just, it's cool. And that's cool, bro. I'm not fighting anybody down on that If Whatever really makes you happy, and literally, you're not looking down on anybody, though. Like, if this is what makes you happy, do that. Mm -hmm. But give people the wherewithal that when they get old enough to understand how society works, that they can now choose. You know what I mean? Yeah. Don't, I'm not, don't, 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 yeah. Don't, don't, don't push somebody into a direction in which when they get old enough to realize, I would like to pivot, they do not have the tools to do it. Because the people who truly make money in this society, they teach their children to make money. And that's why the poor remain poor and the rich remain rich. Because the poor man, generally speaking, does not have the knowledge of how to... All right, for instance, a day Lou and I coming out of, coming out of um, Karanaj and we see these big trailers passing with some sort of a, a, a component for a machine. We're looking at it, right? It's huge. We know it's a component for a machine, but we don't know what the machine is. It looks like some kind of offshore drilling something and it's going down in the West. Every single one of these things costs money. Somebody somewhere has figured out that in the offshore industry, they need this specific component that is only made by this company in Germany. And if I go and I approach them first, I can get, I can get first license to use it and nobody else in the Caribbean and whatever, whatever, and whatever, and on and on and on. And we pass on these things to our children. So rich people continue making money because of the access that they have to this type of knowledge, right? A lot of people don't know in Trinidad that... that a lot of companies who import, they own brands. They own brand franchises. So every time you eat M&Ms and Snickers and all these different things, there are people who have the license to bring these things into this country. Nobody else can bring them. So every time a Snicker bar is bitten into in Trinidad and Tobago, that is money going into somebody's pocket who a long time ago figured it out. I could go and get a brand franchise. But who is telling us these things? Nobody. You understand? So... Yeah, I mean, and I see some more questions coming in back on entrepreneurship. But, but you know, what the thing is, like, especially right now, where a lot of employees are finding themselves at the mercy of, of their employers and, and the employers are finding themselves at the mercy of the pandemic, right? So it's mm -hmm. this feeling of like, you, you have no control, you have no, you don't know what to do, right? So now, like, not necessarily, but entrepreneurial mindedness or entrepreneurial thinking, is, is paramount but you know you're saying that you know we should teach people how to be entrepreneurs but how i mean like, how do you teach somebody to be an entrepreneur how you just <laughs> teach somebody to, to to build a plasticine house when they are youth my father would go to the grocery and he would buy there were three of us right my, my elder sister my younger sister and myself so he know we like soft drink right 
we don't want you drinking a set of soft drink, one. Two, I need to understand the value of money. So what I'm going to do for you is I'm going to buy you a two-liter soft drink. That is your soft drink for the month. Which flavor you want? Here, hold that. You ration that however you see fit. Right? When I was 16 years old, no, 15, my father bought me for my 15th birthday four large aquariums and two breeding pairs of Oscars and fish on them, right? And some other fish and told me, I'm buying you this for your birthday. Go and breed these fish. I will carry you to the pet stores to sell these fish. You'll get a clientele, right? My father told me, it's plum season. Go on the plum tree, pick plum off the tree, take some salt and pepper, go in school, buy some small plastic bags, and bag out your plums and sell and make money. You know how much money I make in school? In St. Mary's, at the end of the term, we used to have to sand down our desks and vanish them. My father had a, a belt sander. Men taking sandpaper and sanding down the desk and taking half an hour to sand the desk. At the end of the term, I bring my belt sander in school and I charge in men $20 a desk and I sand down your desk in two seconds. How do you teach? By example, you have to show people. You can't ask that question and then, you know, I'm not going to sit down here and give you a syllabus, but we're intelligent. If we can teach people how to go on the moon, we can't teach them how to make money in a society. Come on, we could do it. We could do it. We could teach them how to, and, and, and even if not, how to make money in, in, a, in, in a certain type of way, how to manage their money better, man. Right. How to yeah. invest their money, how to let their money grow passively. All of these things, you know what I mean? That a debit card isn't the only thing they're supposed to have to your name. It's supposed to, and the thing is, I'm speaking from a place where I've made a lot of these blunders as a person. And it's only now as, as, as I become an adult and I have a manager who is much more financially savvy than me, that I have health insurance, that I have life insurance, that I have you know, a US account, that I have different things that, you know, and revenue streams. But we have to, you have to start. Exactly. You have to start. You have to start. You don't, you don't create virtuosos overnight. You teach. You teach people how to live. You yeah. know what I mean? And it's generational training and genetics you're dealing with. You know what I mean? It's generational shit that you're trying to break and, and, and get over. You know what I mean? A man, exactly didn't right. see, a man didn't see his great-grandfather earning no money. He never see grandfather get no money. He never see father get no money. How he going to wake up now and decide, I'm going to get money? And that's why we have so many of our young brothers going to the streets and robbing and killing people and whatever because they're looking for their power. They're looking for their, their kingship. And they didn't see the fathers have it. And they don't see any way in the society for them to accept it. So what's a young king to do? In the face of a system that's telling you that you're powerless. I go and go there and I'm going to get it by any means. And, and if it is that you are afraid of me because of the way I look and the way I carry myself, then I'm going to create that into a culture of fear. You know what I mean? But that's a whole other discussion. <laughs> Yeah, no, and I definitely, I mean, I fully agree with the with the generational teaching, right? And you and you taught entrepreneurship and you exposed entrepreneurship as you grew up. But like for those who haven't been, and you you're looking at a time right now where it's oh my god, I need to do something now, you know, like how how would you advise somebody like that to think through that? Repeat that again for me. Sorry, I looked at the chat and I got distracted. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, the chat is very distracting. I go like that. <laughs> I just open up and I like no, I can't read this now. <laughs> yeah. yeah so I was saying that um, your explanation before based on generational teaching and, and I'm exposing your children to entrepreneurship at a young age and letting and let it become essentially part of life or normal 
for them. You know that that's great. But you know there's some there's some folks who don't who haven't been exposed to that, right? Or exposed to that in a in any significant manner, right? But right now is like, oh my god, I need to do something now. But they don't have the they don't have the tools to mm-hmm. to make that. Let's use the word pivot. They don't have the tools to to do that. Like, how would you advise them? You know, I know you're a creator, but you're also an entrepreneur. Like, how would you advise first, them? To the think first thing you see, something I just said us now is the most dangerous thing a human being could ever have. You see that? Oh my God, I have to get something now. Mm-hmm. Right, cut that shit off one time. It have no. Oh my God, I have to get something now. Forget that because you're not going to get something now. Oh my God, I have to get something now. Is pull a gun on a man and put it in his face. Oh my God, I have to get something now is go and lie and defraud the bank. Oh my God, I have to get something now is to go and hold yourself. That's not what we bought. So the thing of, oh my God, I have to get something now is understanding that the thing you have to get now is yourself. Right? Let we, let we get there because we get ahead of ourselves in these conversations thinking that these conversations are in physical terms. These are not physical conversations. If you own yourself in a real way, a lot of these things will fall by the, by the, by the wayside. And we feel like, oh God, it's Bible and whatever, whatever. But seek ye first the kingdom of John, all things shall be added unto you. We feel as though that's some kind of spiritual thing, right? But yes, it is. But it's a very, very clear thing as well. You are the kingdom of God, right? Seek yourself. Understand yourself first. What do you want? Your money? All right. But what do you really want? Because money is not going to make you happy. What is it that you want? And if in this instance you're saying, I need to learn to make money, I need to learn to make money, there are ways to do that. There are ways to do it. Again, a lot of times people ask these questions and it's like, you know, tell me what to do. I can't tell you in the instant how to do that. But I will say this to you. There will be no satisfaction, regardless of what you get. And I could say this as somebody who has had certain levels of things over, over the years. It's like, I want this. And then you get it. Every single man and woman has had this experience in their life. Anybody who have any kind of heartbreak or any kind of wisdom, you see somebody who that you have this great desire for. They're best. They're amazing. Everybody want them. And then you get with them and you realize that they're just human like everybody else. And if you can't learn to love that, then you'll never really find any kind of peace now. So I would say to that person who is in that throes, the throes of panic at this moment, I have to get something now. Learn to calm yourself, Jack. Learn to calm yourself because nothing is going to come out of panic other than destruction. Learn to, learn to calm yourself and then begin looking for avenues where people who are in your similar situation have found ways out of it. There's no time to reinvent the wheel. There's no, re- there's no wheel to reinvent. Just go and, and observe what mankind has already done. We, we've been doing it for a long time. There are ways to do things. Go and look at the ways, and we have more than enough information at our, at our disposal right now. There's no excuse for it. You know what I mean? So, yeah. There Calm you yourself. There you, go, there you go. All right. So we're getting ready to wrap. I'm going to take one final question from the audience, which I think is a good question to wrap with. And this comes from Crystal. She says, I have denied the greatness within. There's an internal fight to just be and walk in one's greatness with the talents of acting, writing, spoken word, etc. Mm-hmm. How do I break free? How to break free? <laughs> As in, you know, like you want to laugh. <laughs> How do you break free? 
Ian wearing clothes? Anyway, go on. <laughs> Ian never wears clothes. Why why you want to put clothes on Ian? Um Yeah. You can go and talk to Ian, you'll get free for sure. And then he'll carry by father and then you go really get free. Um how do you get free? That's a, that's a that's such an intricate question. And there's so many ways. You know, and, I, I, and, I, and I like it because, I mean, I know your, your entire mantra is until everywhere is free. Yeah. You know, um, and, it, and it seems like, to, like your life. Yeah, I on. have to keep returning to the kernel of the question. How mm-hmm. do you get free? The first thing there is the you. If you don't know yourself, then there is no you to set free. It's as, it really begins to be as simple as that. In the, in the hustle and the bustle of the everyday, we prepare this body to fight all the time. We prepare this spirit to work, to feed this body. We suppress the spirit. We don't listen to it. We don't listen to our bodies. We get sick. We get sick spiritually. We get sick in all these different ways because we don't listen to ourselves. And we make these beings that are, that are actually facsimiles of who we actually are. The things that we walk around and parade as human beings, I don't know if this, the majority of what we see is actually what it's supposed to be. And so how can someone like that find their way? There is no them and there's no way, <laughs> you understand? <laughs> so many people asking, how do you get free? Any question, how do you get you? You think, how do you get you? And the way, is, the way is silence, the way is listening. And, and understand this, eh? I want to be real clear. When I say these things, I'm not saying them like I'm some kind of guru, Jed. I go into it. I feel in every day. I hurt in every day. I'm losing myself every day. I'm gaining myself every day. I'm finding things that I think are amazing. I'm falling asleep and forgetting them in the morning. I'm trying to find them again. This is not somebody sitting down here trying to be like, oh, I understand. I found the way and the light. No. How do you get you? Because once you establish who you are and you begin to walk that unwavering path, well, not an unwavering path, you take things onto yourself, you release things, whatever, but you begin to walk that path of authenticity. Once you start doing that, Jed, you become, you become this gravitational center. You, know? you start pulling things into you. And you can't explain it to somebody who, do, who never do it. You can't explain it to somebody who don't understand it. But free tongue was a thing I dream in a room, you know. I'm sitting down in my room just like in tears trying to figure out my life and what I want to be. And having the audacity to stand up and say, this is what I want to bring into the world. Everything you have on right now, brother, has been drawn to you. You born naked with no money and nothing. Every single thing around you, the microphone, all these extensions, the people listening to you, all of this right now is like a little cluster, a little planet. These 32 people who are listening here, everybody kind of formed around what is my voice right now. But you're, you're calling. How do you get free? You have to find that center of yourself. Once you do that, you will begin to ask questions that you, you yourself can't deny. You will begin to enter into spaces and realize, I can't be here. You will begin to say things and realize, I can't say this no more. You begin to eat food and realize, I can't eat this no more. You begin to be around people and realize, I can't be around these people no more. 
you begin to make music and you realize i can't make this music no more and all of that will push those things that are not healthy for you those things are not good for you it will push them away and once you make that space nature pours a vacuum dog boom everything else gets pulled things start getting pulled towards you but you can't pull those things to you if you have created this kind of shadow self in order to exist most people hate their jobs and they yeah. go to their jobs for eight hours every day they spend two hours in the morning preparing to go three hours in the night debriefing from that job another six hours sleeping when are you living when are you you the only time is when you escape and go to a bar and drink or you go to a party or you go whatever wherever, and you're being controlled by some kind of substance there's no freedom in that there's no freedom in that so you cannot ask about freedom unless you're asking about yourself and if you have not inquired on yourself then you, you almost don't even have the moral authority to inquire on freedom how you how, how it amazes me you know but and i don't even coming from a point of any kind of heights like how it is you get but again as if you have the understanding of it you get placed into this spaceship to navigate this place right we know that when you split an atom what could happen an atom in it. but look at you look at what you made of look at what you made of look at what, what look at what is living and dying inside of you every second and yet you doubt you doubt your ability to create you doubt your ability to, to decide the terms of your own living you allow somebody else to dictate when you don't even know if you're going to wake up in the morning if you're going to end this interview and breathe your last and you given that power over to somebody else how do you get free get huge and if you get yourself then it have nothing after that and then to hold you back after that it have them to tell you because nobody nobody could step into your life and and inform you of who you are and what you're supposed to do you will know you will know what to do or at the very least you will you will have a driving force towards the path upon which you're supposed to walk Jed. and even if that part real cloudy and whatever it will drive you it will drive you it will drive you. you you will be amazed but you have to have you have to have that word people do like which is that word of faith faith is not some inactive thing where you sit down and go out there and you're hoping nah faith is get up in the morning and i'm an artist nobody's ever bought a painting from me nobody's ever heard my music but i still gonna make music because i feel like I, i supposed to be making music and one day i know i i don't i don't think you know one day i know this will mean something and every day you get up and you do more and you realize that the beauty starts coming into what you're doing and then the beauty becomes undeniable because you are giving your life force to it and you are beautiful right god don't make trash so you now lending your life to making something and it's beautiful and you keep reinforcing the beauty reinforcing it and then you wake up one day and somebody say that's the most beautiful painting i ever see but that's not painting that you you dig yeah yeah i mean i, I don't even want i don't want to interfere with what you just said you know i don't, I don't want to interfere with it i mean i think that was that was really powerful i mean i have a re- have a request here and i'll get a, a request here to ask you to sing a song but i feel like you know i i don't know if anything could top what you just said i don't have my guitar here and i i know i, 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 I want to sing so yeah you know all right that's fine all right so mama this has been excellent it's been what, what i will do because i've mm-hmm. been ending all my interviews with this mm-hmm. um 
because I really think sometimes people feel as though the music is a gimmick and you know there's been so many conscious artists mm-hmm. um, fall into a genre of consciousness you know whatever that means um, I have been I have been singing this at the end of all my interviews so far um, may your heart find peace anywhere you come from could I up you could I down blessings on my nation that's my mantra to this whole thing, wherever you are, Jen, wherever you're going through, wherever your losses, your gains, your wins, your lows, your highs, like, I hope, I really truly hope that all nations across the world and all peoples will find that peace within themselves. You know what I mean? All right, guys, there you have it. Until everywhere is free with Muhammad Moakil. Subscribe to Caribbean Power Lunch at CaribbeanPowerLunch.com slash subscribe. Check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts. Anywhere you get your podcast, check us out on CaribbeanPowerLunch.com. And with that, Muhammad. Ian, big up yourself. <laughs> yes, Ian. Go watch Ian. Pun something. Man. Okay. No, no, no. Sorry. <laughs> Never change.